Hello, Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Kylie McDaniel. That is the lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com, or the lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com. If that's what you want to say, what follows, I have my weekly conversation with Kylie McDaniel regarding prospects, and uh, in particular in this case, a conversation which largely concerns prospects who have recently been promoted uh, thanks to roster expansion. Those who have listened to the previous two, or maybe it's three now, editions of uh, Kylie's appearances know that he requests, he has requested, to include his own audio at the beginning of these podcasts. Uh, in this particular case, um, we, we've generally had a musical introduction. In this particular case, it is just a somewhat witty tagline. What you're going to hear is a somewhat witty tagline, courtesy McDaniel himself, and then a brief musical interlude from uh Herb Alpern, the Tijuana Brass, and then the conversation, and that will be it. So prepare yourself for a somewhat witty comment, courtesy Kyla McDaniel, brief musical interlude, care of Herb Alpert, and then our conversation. Thank you. Fangraphs audio, slightly better than silence, sometimes. Are you listening to that via Spotify? No, it was in uh, it was in Bill Simmons' article today. Oh, he had a link to it. Uh, he embedded it. Oh, he embedded it. Oh. Even better. Wow. Yeah, don't don't record yet. The first part of that, I wasn't even using the microphone correctly. Uh, don't worry about it. I mean, I could record it. But I don't have to use it. Yeah, we've, got, we've got similarly low expectations. Yeah. The uh, oh yeah, the expectations are low. Hey, listen. Let me know first. Let the listeners know. When uh, the next list will be uh, posted, and who, which clubs' prospects it will feature? Uh, the next team is well. Actually, the next team is whoever is the team that is in last place that I haven't done yet, mm-hmm. which I know was the Diamondbacks, but I haven't really done enough work on them yet that I couldn't change if it's somebody else yet. Let me check who it is. Yes, it's still the Diamondbacks. They've okay. got a, a two and a half game lead on Houston for being third yeah. in in the rating. So yeah, they will be next. Uh, as I said on last week's podcast, I skipped doing them this week, so oh, yeah. they will happen next week. Oh I yeah, believe. right. And you have a twenty eighty thing coming out at some point. Uh, it could be up any second now. Oh I okay. Just sent it to actually, it's up right now. It just went up. Just went up as we were talking. Yeah okay. This is, this is breaking news that is not breaking by the time you hear this, but it's no, especially first. because of when I will post it. Yeah, yeah, but that's see, exciting though. And you wait, so you've got the 2080 Scotty scale, so this is a general thing. This is a general. Hey, yeah, the but... first, the first one is like an introduction of sort of the general concepts and what we're trying to accomplish, and it ended up being, I think, 1800 words, because that's how I do introductions. Right, right, right. No, no, that makes sense. But here's the, here's the thing I want to know, I already want to know. I know that I want to know. And that it, it, it ties together, um, 2080, uh, ties together, uh, scouting, uh, and in particular, the scouting of the hit tool, and I'm, it's going, it dovetails with uh, Jorge Soler's performance thus far. Uh, I think you had him. Looks like you had him as a 50 with a future potential value of 60 on the hit tool. Yes. And so, okay, so Jorge Soler has um, has a, a WRC plus that is um, essentially. <clears throat> Park-adjusted, league-adjusted batting relative to league average. Um, he has a he has one of 315 right now uh, through 28 plate appearances, which only. I believe is Pablo Sandoval's on-base percentage, isn't it? Uh, it could be. Well, it could be cool. It could be a lot of. It, it's actually given you know the relative dearth of offense in the last couple of years. It's close to a league average on-base percentage. No, but this is so he has a line of 462, 500, 1,000, uh, a slugging percentage of 1,000 even OPS. Which means you'd be better off walking him. Right. Uh, yeah. I actually I don't know what is the, what's the break even. I guess. Well, it's, it's supposed to yeah. It's supposed to be slugging is how many bases are expected per at bat. Right. So they're expecting exactly one base per at bat. A walk right. would ensure he doesn't get a double. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's good. Uh, he's doing it alongside that. He's uh, he has a 5.29 BABIP, which is something that can happen um, in a short sample. Although. 28 plate appearances, even that being relatively small, it, usually people don't have a 529 BABIP through that many. Higher than expected. I'd say that's abnormal. Yeah, we could say that's abnormal. It's like that Zoolander where he comes back uh, from the day spa and it says he has like 8,000 messages. And he goes, that's more than expected. So, yes, it's it's like that. It's like other times when people say that's more than expected too. 
Don't ruin this for me. Make it special. It was like Zoolander and like nothing else. <laughs> the, the, so okay, hitting. So so the hit tool when you were grading the hit tool, that's roughly. Correct me if I'm wrong. That roughly equates to what a player's batting average would be, were he a major leaguer. Correct, and that is something I will get into. I think tomorrow, which for the listeners would be today. Uh, we're all break down the hit tool. It depends if that takes me tonight and tomorrow morning to do or if it's more of a two-day task to try to pull all that together. But, yeah, the basic idea is the, the current grade 50 is 270s or 260s batting average. The future grade 60 is 280s batting average. So it's like a, a 10 point or you, you jump the sort of 10 points per half grade there. Um and then there is sort of an assumed on base percentage, sort of a league average walk rate, if you want to do on base, that goes with that. So 260 would be, you know, roughly 320, and 280 would be roughly 340. And then what I'm doing in the uh, in the prospect list, as people that have seen them will know, for the uh, projected above uh, projected everyday hitters, I will do a projected upside triple slash, so that if it's a guy that has an, you know something other than average or very close to average uh, on base or strikeout skills or whatever, uh, I will account for that in that number. Uh, but, you know, most guys like Soler, I would guess, uh, I believe I gave him 280, 350. I think I gave him a little bump because he's shown some good play discipline uh, this season specifically, but it's been sort of average in the past when he wasn't even playing that well. So, uh, yeah, and, that's, and that's sort of how I adjust for it. And I would assume, uh, I, I think there's also, if I'm not mistaken, a correlation typically between power and walk rate, uh, because yeah, of, uh, and guys and often strikeout rate is it typically yeah, right. seems to be late count, high walk, high strikeout hitters are the ones that have uh, you know the big power. Although obviously there's a lot of exceptions to that. Right, right. Um, okay, so the things that inform batting average are um, so so. Once you take away walks, right? You're talking about um, which are not going to be part of it. You're talking. You're looking at at bats, right? I mean, we know that that. Um, we know that batting average is hits divided by at-bats. So one way you will not get a hit is if you strike out, right? Correct. So, so strikeout rate is going to inform uh, a player's ability to hit for average. Um, uh, as Yeah, as will the BABIP and the speed, and maybe you're getting to that. Right, know. right, right. So, yeah, and then, and then uh, if a guy is hitting it into the field of play, then BABIP is part of that. And then, yes. of course, another way to hit for a good average is to hit a lot of home runs, actually. Um, not, not that power hitters always have very high averages, but it is, it is the case that uh, those, that's a good way to get a hit, is to hit it. It's really hitting them where they ain't. Um, it's, or, it depends on who you mean they are, which yeah, I don't right. think they'd appreciate being called that. But, yeah, it's much <laughs> like in basketball, the highest percentage shot is the slam dunk. Yes, right. So hitting home runs is a good way to get them. So here's the thing, though, right? So we know, but, but we know that players – have or they they tend to mm-hmm. produce after some time um, signature babips as it were right I mean I think uh, I haven't looked recently but I know Joey Votto has had uh, babip career babip right about 350 uh, I think for for a time uh, Josh Hamilton was doing something like that. And uh, so was so was Matt Kemp. I don't know where those guys are right now, so far as that's yeah, concerned. Yeah, v- Votto has career 355 BABIP and over 4,000 plate appearances. So, yeah, right. that appears to be a skill. Right. Uh, Matt Kemp, uh, 352 it looks like, well, if, if, as long as we're browsing the Internet together during a podcast. And then uh, why I'm not, usually not listening to you, but now I could be doing something on the Internet too. I'm actually you know being productive. Why not Josh Hamilton as well? Let's say th- well, 331 for him. So I don't know. He's had a couple – he had a couple below 350 years. So. And – Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, still high, though. 330 is pretty high. I was, yeah, I was going to say, much like uh, many of the things we've said, there is a statistical observation once you've been in the big leagues for a while and have a big sample and it can you know reasonably point to a skill or a tool or, or something repeatable. There is a corresponding uh, scouting thing. So, like, well, I guess we talked about a couple episodes ago, Nick Williams, the minor leaguer for the Rangers, is striking out almost 30% of the time but is also hitting like 280 to 300 at all these different levels. And I think I still projected him as a 55 hitter, which would be 270s uh, batting average, because he squares everything up and hits a lot of line drives, which if in his case he's also fast, is code for high BABIP, which of course I don't think many scouts would have said, or many scouts would say now, I don't think any of them would have said 10 years ago because 
that wasn't a well-known thing. Now some of them might know it. Most of them would just say that. And then I would explain to them, oh, that's manifested in BABIP. And they'd be like, sure, yeah, that's what I meant. Right, uh, right, right. I mean, I, and I remember when, uh, in particular, when Howie Kendrick was coming up. Yep. Uh, he was another player. I don't, I don't know if he's, if that's exactly the Nick Williams uh, tool set or offensive tool set. As far, as far as having some speed and having a lot of contact ability among the sort of best in the minors, and yeah, that is a, right. A but also not having he did he never really had elite contact rates. Um, Howie Kendrick, three thirty nine career Babbitt. Three thirty nine career Babbitt, though, right? And yeah. in the majors, he he's had uh, he's, I mean, he has a two ninety career batting average. That's also taking place uh, in the you know half of it at least in the Angel Stadium. Which would be a 70 bat, which I don't think I've put a 70 on anybody yet, but he may have, he may have been the guy that got that when he was in double A AA or triple A if I were doing the list for Fangraphs back then. Right. And yeah, and, and then of course he did come up and he's not had particularly great plate discipline figures, uh, but Scout said this guy is going to hit a lot. He hit a lot in the minors and now, he, you know, he's hit a lot in the majors, right? You know, he's not, he's not, never been really a superstar. Uh, he's had, you know, a couple seasons maybe that were decidedly above average, but. Uh, but not not a player. I was going to say not a player you kick out of bed, which is a totally different uh, skill set, though. It, it, my I'm going to no comments on that one. I'm going to throw you under the bus. Yeah, you can throw me under the bus. Um, I don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Howie Kendrick per se. I'm married. Or the though. bed you're kicking him out of. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that I'm already involved. I don't think that Howie Kendrick and I. I mean, we'd be friends. That's all I'm saying. We'll just be friends. The. You're, you're not going to text Howie Kendrick at midnight and ask him you up. No. The. Because um, I'm not up at midnight, so fair point. Um, yeah, you'd be West Coast, so it'd be stupid. Yeah, right. The, you'd so be a cheesecake factory. So, but so the thing is, right? Um, so looking at that batting average, there's obviously a lot. Even even though, so I, to some degree, it's a scout's job or a it's Kylan McDaniel's job as the lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com <laughs> to <laughs> to synthesize those things we just mentioned, right? To synthesize. A, a, a hitter's contact rate, his likely contact rate, uh, his likely um, batting average on ball and play, given – let's get to that in a second, precisely what you're looking for there. We've hinted at it, but not exactly. And then uh, also I assume you're, you're factoring in because there is – the job of the tools, of course, is to separate and make discrete uh, these tools or skills. But there's an inter – there's definitely um, some interconnectedness between the home run tool – and the hit tool because home runs are hits. Um, yes. Yeah. And and also another part you didn't uh, say is this could also be the the sort of grade I put on these various skills is a combination of both the stats, my observation, and then the observations of other scouts, which almost never agree with each other. Right. So often okay. it's sort of a, a compromise. And oh, this guy mentioned might you know some of the things that would point to a high BABIP. I didn't see that. The numbers kind of point at it, and then you end up with like sort of a lot of hedges and things, which you know through sort of wisdom of the crowds may be the best way to do this anyway. Right. So so a player like Jorge Soler, right? He is he is uh, all of over half of his batted balls that are in play are going for hits. That will not continue. However. Uh, by virtue of the fact that you've put a 50 on his current hit tool, that you've that you suggested it will likely what what was the word I used likely probably definitely will rise to a 60. Uh, yeah I'd say yeah most likely is sort of what the future one's okay. supposed to be. Okay right so that's like a you know 50th percentile outcome. Yeah that's yeah that, I guess that'd be the statistical way to explain it 50th okay. percentile. So so you're you're projecting a guy who's going to be an above average hitter. Um, and, and and so, what do you think? What, for a player like him, what do you think his true, his like true talent Babbitt is? And what I guess what skills are you using to assess that? And how? And, and then thirdly, we'll say, well, how how does that inform how, what we see with other players? Well, Soler is. I, I wrote about this uh, earlier in the week. I don't know. I I know that I wrote this sometime. I'm glad you did too. By the way, you, yeah, you did the the called up post, and you've done that for a couple guys, but you did a big one. Uh, on uh, you know the uh, roster expansion day. Yeah, another super long article. I need to quit doing that. If I was getting paid per article, I'd be doing a terrible job right yeah, now. I'm yeah. doing Instagrafts. I'm doing double posts that are one. It's terrible. Do anyway, it. so one of the things I pointed out, uh, which I believe is one of those 
call-up. So uh, I guess there's, oh, it's Michael Franco, the guy with the Phillies just called up. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I was saying often guys like Soler or Franco that are very talented and scouts basically throw, throwing around 55s and 60s and maybe even higher grades on hitting power tools and bat speed and things like that. Um, often they will show a sellout for power, strike out a lot, hit a bunch of home runs, uh, either a season or a series when a scout sees them or whatever. And then also at another time when the scout sees them or maybe for a couple sustained years, more of a contact type approach. And they both have the bat control ability to hit different sorts of pitches when they're off balance, things like that, sort of an athletic loose swing, along with Soler's got maybe 70 bat speed. Franco's more of a 55 or 60, along with the strength to have at least plus power for both of them, uh, they could be any different kind of hitter they want. Uh, so Lair's an average runner right now, will probably lose a tick, uh, while uh, Franco's like a 30 runner. So the, obviously the speed aspect of Babip will be more for Solaire, but it's still sort of an average at best kind of guy, whereas Franco will probably hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, Solaire could decide to hit say 290 uh with with a good amount of walks and 15 to 20 homers or he could decide to what I saw him do in the Arizona Fall League kind of swing out of his shoes out of control a, a dialed down version of that and be more of that sort of 270 280 25 homers uh that I think he'll be and he has the bat speed sort of like a Justin Upton that if he can find some happy medium where he's not striking out excessively, but can get to his power and also can hit for average. He has the tools to be like a stud, like scouts were comparing him to Puig. And at this point last year, some of those same scouts told me he is not in the top 50 in the minor leagues. Do not put him there. He's out of control. The makeup's a question. And then this year he just got better. And that's sort of what happens with some of these crazy talented guys. Sometimes they just need it to sort of click in their head and then it all comes together. So what I'm trying to say is the BABIP, I think, is a function of ability to make contact and speed. For those two guys, speed isn't really an issue, and the ability to make contact is kind of up to them. Uh, so I would say they're both probably above average guys, maybe like 310, 315, uh, but it could be even higher or even lower depending on what they want to do, which is sort of the hard part with these very talented guys that are still in their early 20s kind of dialing things in. And yeah, let me ask you then, this is a, this is a related question, but uh, for the last couple of years, Oscar Tavares has been one of the top um, top prospects in baseball. Uh, and um, he's, he, he's had a, he had a bit of an injury problem last year that um, sort of prevented him from from making. He probably would have made, or you know, he might have made his major league debut last year if he, you know if he had been around. He didn't, but he's now he now he has 200 plate appearances in the majors. That's actually a bit of a surprise to me. Um, but Tavares, the way, the way I when I saw him and the way I always heard him described was. He uh, he's a someone for whom who can barrel the ball, and that's a term you hear. It's a scouting language, right? He barrels the ball well, which is which is another way to say back control. But uh, okay, yeah, right. go ahead. So it's interesting to me, though, right? So the back control is one thing, and then there is also, I guess you call it power on contact, or you know, capacity, essentially capacity to produce line drives, um, to balls that will not be fielded, right? And and it was hard when I when I heard descriptions of him. It was hard for me not to think of um, uh, Mike Mustakas, right? And, and maybe maybe this is a this is a preposterous c- comparison, but just let me explain why I'm making it. Mustakas actually has pretty excellent contact skills, has had, uh, but he's always run low BABIPs because he's so good at making contact uh, that when he swings at pitches out of the zone, pitches which have a sort of lower which offer you know, sort of lower platonic uh, BABIP, uh, he's he's essentially getting himself out because he is skilled in this one way. Uh, I don't know. Tavares Did now, you intentionally mention a Greek philosopher for the guy with the Greek last name? No, no, I didn't. No, but uh, yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I let's, did. let's go to edit point. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, but but, but uh, Tavares through, I mean, this, you know, at, at this point it's not a meaningless, but it's not it's not entirely... It's not a reliable sample, but 200. He's got a 256 BABIP. And I mean, is this a chance? Do you think this is variation, or do you think that he's a player who, uh, because he's able to get his his bat on so many pitches, uh, might might uh, might get himself out because of but because he has this one skill, but maybe there's a lack of restraint. 
Yeah, and this is what we talked about with uh, with Nick Williams and Gallo and some of these other guys. I assume we'll probably come back to it again because it seems like an interest. It's sort of the uh, like if for pitchers, uh, it seems like all of what their success is is a result of basically staying healthy, which is either not getting hurt and being off the mound, or not sort of losing their arm speed and their stuff disappears and they're no good anymore. Those are kind of the same thing to me, just two different versions of it. Mm-hmm. That's basically all you're trying to do is predict: are they going to get better and are they going to get hurt? Is all you're doing with pitchers. With hitters, the speed and defense stuff, usually you can tell pretty early on it's going to be some version of average or really good or really bad. And the raw power, presumably, should all show up in a game. And all you're trying to figure out is, is this guy going to hit? Um, and so a guy like uh, like Williams uh, with the Rangers is a high contact rate, uh, pr- presumably low strikeout because he makes a lot of contact, but in fact is a high strikeout guy with not a great walk rate. Now, Tavares is even more gifted. He's probably like the 80 bat control guy in the minors right now, uh, where he is a low strikeout, low walk guy that has probably 60 raw power. Uh, and guys would compare him like to Vladimir Guerrero, because like that's the, uh, that's the good example of, uh, aggressive, can hit almost anything, but has just enough discipline to only swing at the pitches he can get some part of, but is sort of interesting. Interesting to watch in the, the way that he can hit a lot of different pitches, but sort of has a very good sense of what is hittable and what isn't. It's just a bigger amount of pitches than most players. Uh, Tavares is obviously having trouble sort of expanding the zone, getting off balance like any sort of uh, good hitter. And one of the things I want to say about Solaire is I said present 50, future 60 for the hit tool. The present 50 means it could be anywhere between 40 and 60 when he comes up. We don't know, but we're going to guess it's a 50. Um, and it looks like it's closer to a 60 right now. We'll see how it kind of continues to play out, but he's kind of hitting everything, and we'll see sort of what the repeatable skill is there. Tavares came up. I probably would have given him a, I don't know, 50, future 65, um, and right now it looks like, you know, that 50 was hedging between a 40 and a 60. It looks like he's a 40 right now and has also been a little unlucky since if you go through his minor league history, I don't think he had any BABIPs below 323 and he's bad at being 256 right now. Yeah. Uh, but his strikeout and walk rates are there, and the ISO is not there. So that's basically is telling us when you have a big enough sample 200 plate appearances, it's basically saying he's making contact with a lot of balls outside of the zone that are weak contact. If we had hit effects, we could see that the angle and the velocity off the bat would be very low, um, which looking at his sort of skills and his track record suggests that some slight adjustments can fix that. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess, a... a Yet another sort of angle to come at the is he going to hit question because there's I think there's a lot of variations on that same sort of question that we've already gotten to right and I should mention and I did not plan this but uh, just a brief inspection of his player page shows that uh, with regard to his out of zone contact rate league average is about 63 this year his out of zone contact rate is 86 percent. There you go. I don't See? even I don't even know what that would be in terms of like z scores but I assume that's it's got to be a couple standard deviations. Yeah, it. that's. I mean, that sounds that sounds bananas because a lot of players. I mean, the league average contact on it in the zone is like eighty-seven and a half percent. So he's basically making contact with pitches outside of the zone the same rate people make contact with pitches inside the zone. Um, Which again is another example of the scouting assumption and catching a couple at bats on TV and people chattering, perfectly lining up with the numbers. Which of course now we'll probably stumble upon an example where that isn't the case, but right, right, this happens to be one of them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's see. So um, let's see. We Guerrero, Tavares, Masakas, Soler. We talked about briefly. Exciting so far. So Kendrick Votto. Look at all this. All right. Uh, this is a this is a, a little bit of a, a crazy time of year because of all the um, because of all the promotions. Of course, what, a lot of the minor leagues are ending now. What they're going to playoffs right right around this time. Yep, basically no games are happening that I want to watch near me uh, for a couple weeks, and then instruct start. Which, which happened in what, Florida, Florida, and Arizona at the Arizona. complexes. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. And um and then and then. Arizona Fall League begins not not too long after that. Uh, yeah, Instructs usually goes uh, into the first couple weeks of the Fall League, which is the beginning of October. So mm-hmm. basically, starting two weeks from now, we have about a month of Instructs, which teams use differently. Some of them go longer, some of them go shorter. Some of them have like the Pirates are notorious for bringing eighty people to Instructs, and then you'll like bring in ten new guys in and send in ten new guys out. So if a guy goes to co- if a scout goes to cover the team, he's going to see a completely different team than another scout would see two weeks later. 
Um, Do scouts like that? I mean, because then you get to see a bunch of faces or no? Well, yeah, but the idea is supposed to be you get given a roster. Like if you go to a minor league uh, team to cover them for five days, you get given a list of 25 names. You watch them all and then you write them up. And then when the pro scouting director looks at the team and says, okay, there's 25 guys on the team two months later, it's the same 25 guys. We saw them all. We're good. And then what what happens, which is sort of what pro scouts do at this time of year, is, oh, some guy got promoted from short season that we didn't see because he was hurt when our scout was there. Now he's in low A. We haven't seen him at all. Now you do, like, special assignment stuff for the last two weeks, filling in holes, getting players you missed. So teams will send one scout to go cover Pirates Instructs, realizing that when they go for one week to watch the team, you're going to miss a couple guys here or there. But with the way the Pirates do it, you're going to miss 30 players. Yeah. So, how long does that – you say write up 25 guys. How long does that take to do one of those write-ups? Is it – I mean, is there any pleasure to it? Um, It's fine. I remember one of the teams I worked for, uh, I was sort of helping the statistical, uh, analytical computer people talk to the scouting people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the scouts were so emphatic about was, can we get, uh, can we get something added to the internal – system writing uh, where we write our reports to where we can just push the tab button to go from blank to blank to blank instead of having to click. Yeah. And I was like, fine, I'll tell them. But you realize, like, you only have so much capital as scouts, like, maybe something more impact. And they go, we're writing, like, over a 1,000 reports. If we can say three seconds on every report, like, that's, you know, it's a, like lot a whole day or breakfast. something. Yeah, yeah, it's allowing us to get breakfast one morning <laughs> when we wouldn't otherwise. And I was like, fair point. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And when you talk to pro scouts, it's uh, – you know, I cover 20 teams. I see them all twice. I write up all 25 guys. The 14, 15 guys on each team that suck, I don't write very much about. Just enough to sort of indicate how good or how bad he is, if he's worth signing, if he's a free agent. And then the good players you spend a lot of time on. And sometimes you see him 10 games and you're going through all these notes. And a lot of scouts will sort of take some video just to have something to look at. And you really put a lot of time into it. And then four days later, you got to write 25 more guys. And it's very, and you're always on the road, not a lot of downtime. It's... It's a real grind, as opposed yeah. to area scouts where a lot of it's go drive to see a game, you're at home every night, and it's just sort of a new game every day, uh, but you're sort of with your family. Uh, so it's sort of a, a different sort of feel. Right. In the, uh, yeah, and you can see the – you can <laughs> – you have a reason to stay alive. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. You, have, you, you, you know, we want to – hold on a second. We want to talk directly – this is like one of those parts of an R&B song where they start talking to, hey, girl. Yeah, yeah, right. Hey, pro scouts! Yeah. Don't kill yourselves. Don't kill yourself. Yeah, don't take it. I, I mean, that's in every sense of the phrase. Like, yeah, don't but kill yeah, that's. Uh, it just seems like a tough job. I mean, not that people want to spend. I don't know. I don't need to spend every minute with my family, but it's nice. You go home, you're like, oh yeah. I mean, this because this is you know humans have been doing that since the beginning of time. You live in a community. You see your family members, even if you don't like them necessarily. There's something comfortable and meaningful about spending time with them, but then you spend your whole time on the road. Oh boy! I always feel like like some of it is like just the option of knowing you could go home because a lot of area scouts it'll be like it's a two-hour drive to go home. I then have to come back in this area tomorrow. It's smarter for me to get a hotel. I could go home. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of feeling like you have to be gone because I know like I talked to a pro scout for one of the lists I just did, and he was like, I've been on the road for 21 days. And I'm about to go home for two days, then I'm going to have, like, another two-week trip. And I was like, I literally have never been on the road long enough, uh, like, in hotels and whatnot, where I have to go figure out how to do my laundry at a hotel. It's like I've never done – like, I'll do, you know, like, Thanksgiving at someone's house, that kind of thing, where yeah, you can right. sort of use the facilities. Uh, but I've never had to do laundry at a hotel before. I'm always sort of less than 10 days, almost intentionally, because I'm like, well, I don't want to be there for two weeks. What, am I crazy? Yeah, you're not crazy. Yeah, and these guys for, you know, half six months out of the year are essentially – at that level of, uh, you know, doing their laundry on the road, which I am not a fan of. So with, around this time of year in terms of roster expansion, what this is a time when you see, uh, well, you see some guys you don't expect to see, like um, Kansas City left-hander Brandon Finnegan. Was, cool. Uh, I got some thoughts on that. Well, let's get to Well, we can get to that in a second. But, I mean, he's, he was a first-round draft pick out of what, TCU? TCU, yeah. And uh, you rarely see guys – drafted and then playing that same year. In fact, we, we mentioned this because I think we talked about Rodon, Carlos Rodon, uh, who's in the White Sox system right now. We talked about him briefly last week. Uh, he, he's a candidate uh, to throw a couple innings at the major league level after having been drafted this year. Finnegan, I think, is a little bit more of a surprise. 
Yes, for um, a couple of reasons. Yeah. So, all right. So, generally speaking, let's say uh, generally, um, are you getting? Are you able to get anything? Is there any sort of uh, anything for you that you learn by seeing, uh, for example, example Toronto prospect? Um, not not necessarily a big prospect coming into the season, but has had a good has had a good year. Dalton Pompey. Um, you said that one correctly. Yeah. Is there any? Well, Pompey is the other option, which I think is also acceptable. I think it's an acceptable mispronunciation. Do, um, but is there anything where you say, oh, I get to see, I'll get to see Dalton Pompey face some major league pitchers, and that'll be a thing that I get to see, and that that's information uh, in, of non negligible value. I think it's more useful for guys like Michael Franco that have been sort of at double-A, triple-A for, you know, full seasons now. Like, you think he's ready. Some people thought he was ready at the beginning of the year, which I think would have been rushing him. And so now it's like sort of his next step. So you sort of see how he's progressed. Or a guy, a pitcher in general, especially one like Finnegan, where it's like big stuff. You kind of want to see how good the command works and how much composure there is. Is, is this going to be a guy that can go straight to the big leagues like Chris Sale? Or is it going to take a year or two at triple-A to figure stuff out? Mm-hmm. And a guy like Pompey has had literally, I think, 200 at-bats above A-ball and was, uh, I mentioned on another podcast, I won't, I won't refer to which one it was, uh, I didn't rank the Blue Jays system last year. Um, I didn't, you know, do the reports and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think Baseball America had him 17th or something like that in their system. It was just sort of like, oh, yeah, he runs, whatever. And he basically hit his way to the big leagues this year at age 20, and, and he had 200 at-bats above A-ball. And he hit at all of them, so it's not like he didn't deserve it or he didn't hit his way there. Uh, but scouts are like, this guy's sort of a 50 and he needs to go to double A. Um, so, you know, it doesn't seem like the kind of guy that should be called up right now for anything other than sort of a speed and base running type deal, which you can defend because like the season's over or basically over. He needs to get some ABs. We'll send him here instead of instructs. Like I get the, the defense, but in the sense of comparing him to Franco, like, oh, I'm excited to see him. Like, if he, I think he's going to be overmatched, and if he's not, I think it's going to be kind of a fluke. And maybe this is a guy I'm wrong about, but things like this where he goes from high A to the big leagues and from obscure to you know grade at 20 doesn't really happen. And he's also not a huge tools guy like Soler where he can just run into a bunch of fastballs and hit him out of the park. He's more of a – like one of the commenters said is he's sort of like Rajai Davis, and I'm like he is kind of like that. Like it's that kind of player. Uh, right, right. So he's not the kind of guy I necessarily want to watch, but I think Finnegan and Franco definitely are. Okay, well let's let's get to Finnegan. We've mentioned Franco earlier. Uh, so Finnegan, uh, left-hander. I'll say literally all of the information I know about him. Left-hander uh, throws a fastball, maybe hard, probably hard. Uh, definitely hard. Drift drafted this season, uh, drafted this year uh, out of TCU in the first round. Yes, uh, he was a good, not great recruit. And then at the beginning of his sophomore year, when I first saw him, he's a five eleven lefty comp to Scott Casimir often that just started hitting ninety eight out of nowhere, and no one knew it was coming. Um, I saw him face Chris Anderson, guy in the first round uh, to the Dodgers when Anderson was a junior going in the draft, and then Finnegan was a sophomore, uh, and he was ninety three to ninety six, uh, hit ninety seven, above average breaking ball. Uh, flashed above average changeup, had some command. There's a little, you know, little effort to the delivery. It progressed that summer. He was up to 98 for Team USA. The slider flashed plus. Uh, the changeup got a little bit better. Uh, apparently, he got his slider advice from Carlos Rodon, which is a sort of well-known story. Anyway, so he looked like he also the other notable thing. He's a small guy with some effort with really big stuff. No injury history and shockingly good command for a guy with that delivery. So he looked to be one of those sort of Chris Sale outliers where it's like, well, it doesn't traditionally line up as, well, everything's perfect like Mark Pryor, but the results are so good and he's college and he's, you know, seemingly ready to go and he's thrown this hard for two full seasons. So it's not like his, you know, we're not sure if his body can handle it sort of thing like Jonathan Gray right. where he threw hard for, you know, two months before the draft. So he had buzz as high as number four of the Cubs and sort of securely in the top 10 leading up to the draft. Two weeks before the draft, he gets a shoulder problem. Not a surgery, not a huge thing, but like soreness, which for a guy where it's sort of noted he hasn't had any arm issues, and then all of a sudden his arm issues at the worst possible time, and now scouts are, you know, teams are being forced to make multi-million dollar decisions based off of a guy that, for all they know, after they sign him, is going to throw 85. So he had a couple short, like one or two inning outings before the draft, was sort of 90-93, whereas he's normally like 92-94, but they're like, all right, close enough, seems healthy. So instead of going somewhere from 4 to 10 or 12, he's going 17 to the Royals. Uh, and they don't use him a ton. 
and shoot him straight to the big leagues. The part where I have a problem is Ned Yost was asked the day after they called him up, hey, what's your plan for using uh, Brandon Finnegan? And he said, eh, no plan. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me break this down. He's a sub-six-foot lefty with not perfect mechanics that just had a shoulder problem, which is the only reason you guys had a chance to get him. You just gave him a ton of money. You could argue he's one of the top three or four assets in the entire organization, worth eight figures for a company that's worth nine figures. He's coming up. This is like the perfect example of a guy you make a plan for. We only use him every three days. You use him for an inning. Even if you want to be general and just say we don't use him on back-to-back days or anything like that, uh, you know, have some sort of plan. This is the guy you have a plan for. Uh, and he could, Ned Yost could have easily just said, like, oh, I know he's had, you know, hasn't thrown a lot. He's going to come and throw as hard as he can against hitters of a quality he hasn't faced before. He, this is the sort of situation where a guy can get hurt, uh, you know, overthrowing, you know, with the adrenaline and all that sort of thing. We're going to be careful. Doesn't even say what the plan is. Just say we're going to be careful. He just goes, nope, no plan. (laughs) And I'm like, I hope there's a plan. And I've been sort of told through back channels, like, yeah, I think there's a plan. But the the sort of back channels were similarly skeptical. We're like, I have a little more info than you do, and I'm still a little worried that there may not be enough of a plan here. Wow, yeah. And does he profile you? I mean, you mentioned slider, and uh, which seems like, uh, and and, uh, what is it, uh, flashes plus or is plus? Flashes plus? Uh, I'd say present 55, future 60, yeah. Okay. Flashes plus. So he seems like, and it's interesting, right? Um, We mentioned the Rodon might be called up. The, the other two guys in the past five years to have been called up in their draft year were both left-handers uh, used exclusively in r- uh, a relief mode. I, I mean, it, this seems like – I mean, I don't know if that's enough you know, enough names to be considered a trend, but it seems like if someone is going to be uh, promoted in this draft year that it's going to be a left-hander, and in particular a left-hander who's got uh, some some sort of breaking ball that can get other left-handers out. Yes, I'm I'm sure that's part of the decision-making process because not all these teams were sort of in the playoff run, whereas the Royals obviously are, and they can say, hey, do we want to, you know, call up sort of organizational emergency call-up lefty blank who's 90 to 94 with a above-average breaking ball from a high three-quarter slot that's just sort of a guy we could have had up all year but we didn't, or this guy that could be up to 98 with a plus breaking ball and blowing people away, which one do you want? And especially with the sort of basically unlimited bullpen, you're like, oh, well, give me the guy that throws 98. That sounds interesting. Let's bring him up. Right, right, right. And it's it's harder to find that guy in the minors, uh, especially when you're when you when you're looking for sort of a stuff conventional type guy as opposed to a sort of you know sidearm trickster type. Although Paco Rodriguez isn't a sidearm guy, he is more of a angles release point right, break right. like that kind of guy. Whereas Sale and Finnegan are, are more the Rodon type guy. Right. Uh, let's. Uh... You're, you've uh, already fulfilled your obligation, but let's do, let's get to one lefty who was just promoted, and uh, I'll ask you about his ability and also his likely usage over the the next month. That's Daniel Norris with Toronto. Daniel Norris uh, was omitted because he was omitted from uh, the notable top uh, prospect list this season. He was eligible for. Uh, the French Five. He was a. He's not a. He's not a typical sort of French prospect, but uh, usually guys who don't appear uh, in the top 100 prospects uh, are not guys who are going to be who you think of as their next step, dominating all the minors and then getting a promotion where you know they have a good chance of you know getting major leaguers out as well. Daniel Norris has done that a- after. Um, after pitching excellently at uh, High A, what it, High A Dunedin, does that sound right? Yep, that's where I saw him. Yeah, and then uh, he went to Double uh, A New Hampshire, where he posted a higher strikeout rate than he had in Dunedin, and then he moved uh, to what Triple uh, A Buffalo, Syracuse, one of those. Probably mm, Buffalo. I let's, believe it is Buffalo. Let's say I Buffalo. will check though. Continue talking. Let's say Buffalo. And he struck out. He essentially turned into, I mean, what? Uh, Kenley Jansen, Craig Kimbrell, Araldis Chapman. He struck out nearly 50% of the batters he faced. It's uh, Buffalo. Over 20 plus innings. Okay, it's Buffalo. Yeah, they got they got nothing else going on up there, so you might as well strike some people out. Right, that's what he did. He struck out a lot of them, and he and he walked fewer than ten percent of the batters he faced. Again, you know, slightly limited, but that's good. It's good not to walking people. He really doesn't. He does not seem to have been bothered by 
the better talent he's facing at any level. Uh, so, what's your where are you with Norris uh, at the moment? I know that you uh, you discussed him uh, in your, one of your called up pieces. Also, what are you thinking in terms of role uh, now and then and then next year, both role and level? Uh, he's an interesting example of the limits of me going to see a player because I saw what sounds like one of his worst stuff outings of the year. Uh, I went because I knew he was getting uh, promoted soon. He was facing Tyler Glasnow, who's like probably going to be in the top 25 of my top 100 uh, this offseason, 6'7", righty up to 99, if you like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so Norris was 91 to 94, kind of flat, up in the zone, uh, off-speed stuff was above average, but inconsistent. Change-up was fringy. Command was fringy. Delivery was a little across his body. His his uh, front leg was stiff, which caused the ball to be up and sort of flat, which is some version of what I heard he was the year before when he was okay, but not that great. Um, and was still made that stuff work, had, you know, had sort of some moxie, still was aggressive, uh, and A-ball guy still had trouble hitting that sort of above-average stuff, but you know, I was told to expect a lot. Glass now sort of showed me that sort of thing, and Norris did not. Uh, when he got called up, I started calling around to scouts, being like, "All right, I heard he was better than what I saw." I, you know, I didn't write a formal report, so I didn't bother sort of getting like all the details from everyone. What did you guys see? And they were like, uh, "Basically, I saw average stuff before this year. I saw above average stuff this time." And they go, "Pretty much, if you saw him any other day this year, it would have been plus stuff." I was like, "Okay." So very good athlete, sort of six two, not huge, not a lot of plane. Still kind of battles his delivery every now and then to not uh, have as much sort of crossfire uh, and not put as much sort of torque on his knee, uh, sort of locking his knee when he lands, which, like I said, sort of keeps the ball up in the zone and creates some problems. Uh, but it sounds like it's a plus fastball, plus curveball, above average slider, above average changeup, and at least average command because he's such a good athlete and has made sort of the delivery adjustments. And after he signed for $2 million out of high school, he ended up slipping to the second round because of some of these sort of command and delivery and size issues. He was kind of not much of a prospect for a few years, even though everyone knew he could be good. And then it just all kind of exploded this year. So this uh, that's the reason you take guys like this is every now and then you get an explosion like this. And I talked to a guy in a front office that he, we think he's the best prospect in their organization. Uh, I think he's, uh, as an example, uh, said I think he's better than Henry Owens as another lefty that's sort of six five with the Red Sox and sort of a much more traditional type guy with similar stuff. He goes, I like him better than Owens. Uh, he was good at the Futures game. I think he's a number two starter, and I'm all in on this guy. And I'm like, that's funny because the guy I saw was not very, not even close to that good. But it's important to sort of recognize in my sort of position, and I guess a similar thing to what Jason Parks used to do at BP, what Keith Law does at ESPN which is you go out of your way to see guys to be able to more better explain what's going on and then not have to pester scouts for opinions on all these guys because you can do some of it on your own. You have to be able to have the, uh, you know, sort of the, the vision and decision-making process to see when you have flawed information and ignore what you saw and listen to other people. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's funny with regard to Norris because he's had so many um, excellent starts this season, but – uh, I had Ben Badler on uh, the podcast, Ben Badler of Baseball America, and I think the, this was a month or two ago, the day before he had seen Daniel Norris at New Hampshire, and Daniel Norris, I don't think he got out of the first inning, or maybe, or definitely not the second. He walked like, you know, four guys or something, gave up a bunch of runs and was out of the game. It's funny. Which I think was a couple weeks after I saw him. Yeah, right. And so do you get, it's interesting that you'd have someone who's posted such preposterous numbers over the course of the season, and yet he has, has these two starts where he looks like, he doesn't look like anything. Yeah, and, and it's like he's a guy that got $2 million in high school that hits 95 and has above ever drop speed stuff, which is what I saw in a bad start. It's not like I'm telling you this guy sucks. I'm like, this guy isn't as good as you would assume he is, which right. sometimes is me telling people Carlos Rodon isn't quite as good as you were led to believe. I guarantee you in a couple months it's going to become consensus that he's not a slam dunk number one pick. You're going to have to trust me. And sometimes it's a guy like Daniel Norris where it's was really good, kind of went into the wilderness, and then he came out, and you're told he's great, and you didn't quite see it, but you're like, I can't discount him just because of this look. Uh, although a lot of times when you see stuff like that and you're told a guy's great and then you see that, it's an indication that it's maybe headed in another direction. In this case, it was just you know sort of an aberration, which doesn't mean it was the only aberration. Right. All right, you did it. You did it, McDaniel. Sounds like you did it too with that uh, little voice. Well, I'm still you. going through puberty a little bit. Just the tail end. 
just you know finishing it off. But um, all it's right. A real solid effort by you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, well, let's get you. Well, you stick around for one second, but we'll we'll say goodbye for the benefit of the listeners. And, I, 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 what? I think for next week's episode, we'll have the Diamondbacks list, and also you'll have a chance to review some of my 2080 opinions. I think we'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah, we'll have 20. Yeah, I and uh, I'm telling you, I'm putting Blaine Weller, Arizona Diamondbacks. Blaine Weller. I've done some preliminary research, and he has still not come up. So I think he, I think you're gonna be safe to make him your guy. Blaine Weller. I noticed. Is, is he I, like I, Ben Weber? He's not. Hey, listen. Have you looked? Have you? Well, it's actually hard to find information on Blaine Weller, but he strikes he strikes everybody out. He came up. He was. You know where he played last year? He played for the windy Windy City uh, Thunder Thunderbolts or something like that. Yeah, yeah you, you I, have. I used to be the – when I worked for the Yankees, I was the independent league guy, so I had to learn all the names of all the teams. Yeah, the Windy City Thunderbolts, yeah. Hey, yeah. throws – throws not, he was through – he had one game where he struck out like 15 guys, throwing 95 in the ninth inning. Do you know what high school he went to? I just pulled him up. In the same high school as you, maybe? Not Key West High School. Oh, what is that? What does that mean? It's the only high school in the Keys. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah. What, are people, what if you're on a different key? Then you drive to Key West to go to high school. Hi, wait, is there a bridge that connects all those keys? Yeah, they're not that far. It's like from the beginning of the keys to the end of the keys is like an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I did spring break down there in high school. Woo, spring break. Uh, does, does Key West, where's Key, is Key West in the middle of them or is it in the west? I believe it is the last one on the end. Oh, so what if you live at the very east part of the keys? Do you go over the mainland maybe? Yeah, then you can probably go to like the, the, yeah, the mainland area, which is the, right at the base of the keys and the mainland isn't a whole lot going on there either, but. What's, what is it like down there? I mean, is it? It's, it's like a Jimmy Buffett music video. I don't know if he has music videos, but whatever you think that looks like, that's what it is. What about like, what about the time of year when it's not filled? I mean, is it, is it a, is that like a, is that's a spring break destination? Yeah, I remember when I I was at UCF in Orlando, and I had a lot of friends that lived in Miami, so we kind of had some inside information on the best spots to go to, and we actually spent the majority of our time stopping on the other lesser-known keys and stopping at, you know, multiple people in the same hotel room uh, at these sort of, you know, dump whatever, and then just going to the beach across the street, which is like a perfect beach that nobody went to, because it's like, oh, if you're in the keys, you go to Key West, why would you go to some key in the middle? And there's obviously some sort of cool spots in between that people normally just drive past. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, are they real towns that that are functioning towns during the rest of the year? Uh, it's sort of like the the less populated parts of a beach town. It's like each sort of island is like a version of that. Okay. Hold on. I'm pulling up on Google Maps how far it is to go. To. All right, so it's actually two and a half hours to go from the last city in Florida to the end of the Keys to Key West. Last city in Florida. Oh, you know now I'm starting to think there has to be another high school in the Keys. <laughs> or, or they just—I mean, when it's Florida, I mean I know it's your home state, but wouldn't shock yeah, me yeah. if they just didn't go to school. Or you yeah, could be some homeschooling solutions. Anyway, there was a guy that went in the second round out of there, like uh, I don't know, like ten years ago, uh, that didn't really turn into much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember they they sort of have a player every like five or six years that's sort of on the national radar, and the scouts are always excited. They get an excuse to get under the keys because it's just like, like I said, the in between keys, it's sort of like a you know burnout beach town kind of thing, and then Key West is exactly as much of a party as you think it is. Yeah. Okay. I went to uh, one time I went with my aunt to Panama City, Florida. I mean, not during spring break or whatever, but I can already imagine a young Carson yelling "Woo, spring break." Uh, I didn't do that so much. I did get um, horrific sunburn, like. But that was yeah. just look at. Listen, I'm uh, via Skype. I just sent you a GIF of Blaine Weller's curveball. You can see that. Look at that. Do you see it yet? Yeah. No. I mean, it, it looks good. And he throws 95. I, his name might come up. I like I said, I have a couple scheduled calls in uh, this weekend and early next week to sort now, of work all say, this out. Can you say? Can you say to someone? Listen, I have a guy. I, Irritating fellow. You could, this is you talking. So I, there's a guy who's really been, he's been all, uh, I just don't like him. He's a, he's, he's a, the AT&T of people. Yeah, right. Could you just be, uh, can you say, but he's, he just, he's, he's asking me, he says, what about Blaine Weller? And then so I'm going to ask I have a friend that I can text. Yeah. That works for the D-backs. Yeah. Let me see how quickly he'll answer. Okay. This is all, we're still recording right now. Yeah, this is live. This is live. 
So we'll see precisely how non-influential Kylan McDaniel is. We've been on it for 30 more minutes, and no one's gotten back to him. What are you going to do? Just say Blaine? What are you saying? What is it? How are you phrasing it? Hold on. I'm still writing it. I said one of the Fangraphs writers loves Blaine Weller. Quick thoughts on him. Oh, okay. That's fair. Should, should he be on my list? You're going to do all that? Well, no, yeah. I don't want him to be on your list. Well, I'm just going to ask him open it. Should he be on my list? Should he be on your list? What if the guy, here's what I would be saying if I'm that guy. I'm thinking, how long's the list? Yeah, it's, that's what most of them say. But I, I, this guy's talked to me about some of my other lists before. He's read them. I think he knows it's sort of 20 plus usually. Yeah. Um, who's gonna be, who's number one in the, uh, is that Braden Shipley? Is he in that thing? Archie, Archie uh, Bradley. Yeah, Archie Bradley, who's now become like the boring prospect because he's been at the top of the list for so long. People just assume there's something wrong with him because he hasn't become a stud yet. Is there something wrong with him? I mean, he got kind of banged up a little bit, had some sort of arm soreness earlier, and he'll be in the fall league, so I'll see him in, uh, in a month. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll, I actually haven't seen him in person in, I think, like three years now, so it'll be good for me to get an updated look at him. And where is, uh, we're stalling right now, but where is, because D- he, he came out of, what, Oklahoma, right? Yep, him and, and Dylan Bundy. Both, right. Uh, so I was going to say, how, what's, what's going on with Dylan Bundy right now? Uh, he's doing okay. He's uh, still sort of working back to his uh, TJ form, uh, but I talked to one of their guys about him uh, a couple weeks ago, and they said, yeah, no, it's good. It's not quite 95 to 98 with a 70 cutter, but it's, you know, it's something like that. Okay. Yeah, he's got 13 walks and 15 strikeouts in A-ball, so yeah, not quite there. No, I would say that's, yeah, that's not quite it. And Bradley, uh, Archie Bradley's got a, his strikeout and walk rates are not elite at the moment either. Looks like he's waiting. No, which another re- yeah, another reason why I was thinking about making a trip to go see him uh, when he comes to the north part of Florida in the Double A Southern League. But now, like I said, he'll be out in the fall league, so it'll be an easy one for me to get to. Okay. All right. Well, let's close it up. We'll close up shop. Listen, if you want, you can call and leave a message. <laughs> and you know, you could be like, you just say, can I leave Skype messages? I, I wasn't aware that was an option. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Let's close it up. Hey, listen. Uh, it was. We'll stick around for one second with me, but uh, for this. For the sake of the crowd, I will say to you, thank you, Kylan McDaniel. Thank you. That is still it's been Kylan McDaniel. He is the lead prospect writer uh, for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.